People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Welcome, Mateo, to Health Gig. Trisha and I are thrilled you're here. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Mateo, what do you think is the biggest misconception about meditation? I think that the biggest misconception about meditation is that we should be peaceful, that meditation should immediately make us peaceful. Almost always when we sit down to start to meditate, the first thing we recognize is, oh my gosh, I didn't ever know that I had this many thoughts and that I'm so distracted. And that is usually a a signpost that you are meditating because we just didn't notice it before. That's the first step, noticing how wild our mind is and how rapid thoughts can come is the first step in our meditation practice. My body's only sensing that the respiratory system is getting jacked up and then I'm holding my breath. We only do that, human beings only do that when they're usually running away from something, like they're running away from a wolf, running away from, like evolutionarily speaking. And so the body feels as though it needs to react in a way that needs to be on. What happens when I do that? My hearing goes away a little bit. My digestion stops, actually. I have more circulation that's happening in the body. And this is turning on this sort of concentration or the sympathetic nervous system. Yeah, it's like your body's preparing, Dora, for that attack. Yeah. The cyber-toothed tiger is going to come and do it, so therefore you've shut down. You're in fight or flight right now. You're circulating, your blood's thicker. You're not going to bleed out. You got yourself ready. Exactly. And we can do that in like 30 breaths. But usually what's happening, we're doing that, we're pumping the chest as well. And we can do that very quickly. And when we do that in a controlled way, in a very conscious way, and afterwards we do some breath holding, if you will, that helps regulate the system, then this is a way for us to turn on the concentration, the focus that is needed. But we don't want that all the time. And we only want that at certain times in a similar but opposite way. I wouldn't do that in the evening as I'm trying to downregulate my system. So what would I do during the evening or during the day when I don't want stressors to come? And so this is a good example. So, I mean, I can maybe offer one thing. Shall we do... Yes. Right now. Yeah. Okay. And maybe the listeners can do this with us as well. Okay. So just go ahead and just take up a comfortable seat. If you're listening to this in your car, you can just listen to it, stay concentrated on the road. So you don't have to do this while you're driving, but afterwards, but it's, it's fine. We're not going to do any breath holding necessarily, but just to begin with, just take up a comfortable seated posture and just relax and perhaps close your eyes for a moment. And then Maybe put one hand on your belly button and another hand on your sternum, on your chest. And as you do that, just notice at the beginning here, what hand is moving as you inhale and as you exhale. Just note what hands are moving and when they're moving as you breathe in and as you breathe out. Breathing in and breathing out. 
as you continue to breathe, I want you to try to have just the lower hand move. And so as you breathe in, push your belly out a little bit so the belly expands out. And as you exhale, just give a little bit of feedback and push your belly in a little bit. Some of you might notice that the upper hand might be trying to move. So just try to breathe with the belly. Breathe it in, the belly balloons out. Exhaling, pushing the belly in just slightly. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. We're gonna talk about what just happened there. And I could actually see, because for our podcast listeners, I could actually see Patricia and Doro, how they were breathing a bit. Part of what I do when I teach meditation, teach breath work, I observe people, how they're breathing and whatnot. So how was that for both of you when we did that? It's for me, it was as if I had been starving and I hadn't been breathing. So it was almost the feeling of when I was really, when I'm really hungry and I eat something then there's satisfaction and for me, I haven't, I've been in this fight or flight door, I'll tell you, I've been in this situation. Mm. And even though, Mateo, even though I'll sit up there and I'll go through my practice, I'm not doing it. I was just not. Having your guidance and sitting there and actually doing this, it was as if I got something I haven't had in a while. And it was three breaths, by the way. It was like three or four breaths. So we can interrupt our system yeah. with, with just a couple breaths. Dora, what hand did you notice that was moving more, the bottom or the top hand when you started? Originally, the top hand was moving. And then I became more aware of taking longer, deeper breaths. And that's when my bottom hand started to move. But I had to make a conscious effort to do the belly breathing, to do the deeper breathing. So I noticed that it takes an effort to do the expanded breathing. Yeah. and. About three quarters of Americans would say the same exact thing that you just said. Mm -hmm. If we can bring more belly breathing as our normal breath, our system will immediately start to downregulate. Because what happens when we breathe very shallow into the upper chest, first of all, we're decreasing by about three quarters our capacity to breathe. When we breathe into our belly, we have about three quarters more capacity to inhale, to breathe. It's called diaphragmatic breathing, but just generally, I don't want to get super technical because all we're talking about is when you breathe and your hand is on your belly, when you inhale, the belly goes outward. And if we can think about it, that we breathe horizontally rather Mm. than vertically. So if you're sitting up against the chair, as you breathe in, you can feel that your back ribs and your lumbar press into the chair a little bit as you breathe in. Because the belly's coming out and the lumbar's pushing back. Mm. How many times did our mother say to us, just take a deep breath? Or somebody said, just take a deep breath. I find this fascinating. People say, take a deep breath because they're encouraging you to relax. When we do that, like right now, just both of you, let's just take a deep breath. Okay, right there. I just saw it and I did too. Your belly actually went in when you took a deep breath. Because we just breathe in into our chest. What are we telling our body? I have to be noisy when I do my, I have to be, you know, I have, that's why I have to put you. 
Because <laughs> I can't get the groceries over again. I'm like, okay. And that's, you know, then that's stress. And that's the same thing. If you're, if somebody came in the room and scared you right now, what would your reaction be? <sighs> the belly right. would go in. Right. right. We are, this is called dysfunctional breathing. There's another factor about the belly because you pose the question, how many times does your mother say, take a deep breath? My mother would say to me, hold your belly in. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and these habits are deep, Doro. These habits yeah. are way deep. So when I'm wow. breathing and you're telling me to breathe horizontally and push my belly out with the breath, that's a little bit like, ooh, you exactly. know. Exactly. This is getting right? very so. Like we were we... Spanx, Mateo. We were yeah. Spanx. <laughs> yeah, this is. I'm can't so... breathe in our Spanx. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These habits run very deep. We were talking about between stimulation and reaction. The reason that that space isn't very big is because of our habitual reaction. Mm -hmm. So our habitual reaction is also the way that we breathe. So when we get stressed, oftentimes the reaction is to breathe one through the mouth and into the chest, which creates a more stressful environment for us to receive those stressors. So what are we talking about here? I would love it if your listeners like wrote back to you and tried this on for a week, just tried this method for a week because it's not complicated. When they recognize that they're stressed, they put their hand on their belly. And if they're not driving or if they're not holding a kid, if they can do this and they breathe in and their belly expands out and they exhale and they give a slight feedback by pushing their belly in. And I'll tell you one story that just happened last week. I was talking or teaching to a nurse in a COVID unit and there's this alarm that goes off and she has very dysfunctional breathing as well. She just, she breathes in and out of her chest. You can see, I can observe when I'm watching her shoulders move up and down when she's breathing and she breathes kind of raspy and she has her mouth open when she's breathing. She's just over breathing. She's hyperventilating. Her normal breath was hyperventilating, which a lot of Americans do. They just, right, yeah. their mouth is open. Right. They're getting very little breath. I just suggested to her, there's an alarm that goes off a couple hundred times a shift for her. And she braces her whole work life. And actually a lot of us, when we're even on email, we're bracing. We're bracing because we think like whatever's coming at us, whether it's just the air that we're breathing because of COVID or whatever else, we're bracing for the next thing. So I just, we had practiced this when that alarm goes off, if it was possible to just take one or two or three breaths, like we were talking about here. And I've never had in almost 15 years of teaching meditation and breathing, I've never had such an immediate response from anybody in anything that I've ever shared as she had. And I think it was just so extreme because of her dysfunctional breathing, but this is what happened the alarm would go off and she would do this. And so then what happens in our life, whether it's that alarm or the leaf blower or the person that cuts us off in traffic or whatever stressful situation, the stressful situation becomes a spur for us to relax. Mm. We immediately yeah. do a kind of jujitsu on the stressor. This is what the Dalai Lama always talks about when he says our enemies can be our teachers. Right. Negative emotion. It's a flipping of it. 
but we have to do something. We have to be mindful. We have to have a plan because we get in the way of our best intentions. So the plan is when that stressor comes that you put your hand in your belly, you even anticipate it and you're going to go into wherever your home or your work or, and you know, it's going to be a stressful situation. Preempt it. Yeah. Put your hand in your belly, take a breath or three and just see what happens. Mm. You know, I'm not going to say, oh, this is like the panacea, but we have to start with the basics because where the stressors are coming at us are at the basics. The stressors are coming at us at the breath level. And you've just given us something for our toolkit. I want to share one other thing, Doro, because you asked about tools. And the one other thing that we can do is throughout the day, especially when we're speaking, is we try to breathe through our nose. People will oftentimes tell me that they're in Zoom meetings and they're so tired after their Zoom meetings, they're so stressed out. And they think it's because they've been in front of the Zoom computer. And that probably doesn't help. But when we're speaking and we're speaking a lot and we're only breathing through our mouth and it starts to sound like this and we need to get this done. And then we go to A, B, and C and we do this. And and there's this kind of hyperventilation that happens. We're talking about the same mechanics here. We're trying to be concentrated in our Zoom meeting and our body is saying, just a second, I'm freaked out. Is something chasing you? And I see this all the time in the Zoom meetings that I'm on is that people are hyperventilating. Yeah. In between sentences, take a breath through the nose, just a nice breath. And then continue to speak. Rather than speaking like this, the mouth is open and you'll actually hear it. Yeah. When you listen to NPR, you can hear the reporters and they're talking like this and their mouth is open. They do this thing that you can actually hear them breathing. When we're speaking this way and breathing this way, you actually can attract people that listen to you because there's some space for them to listen and for you to also just tone your parasympathetic system. When the body's sympathetic nervous system is turned on, like when we're running away from evolutionarily speaking, when we needed to run away from something that wanted to eat us, our belly stops digesting. Right. There's just uh, no digestion at all. That's right. There's no digestion. The, we lose a bit of hearing. Our, our peripheral vision goes away. We have this tunnel vision. Some of us can relate to this because this is what happens when our PTSD starts. We have the same thing that happens. Our hearing goes, we have this tunnel vision, the, there's no digestion. And then we sit down and we eat something. And there's no digestive juices at all. There's nothing because that had to be shut down to to preserve you to not be killed by this thing chasing you. Yeah. So it's no wonder that our digestion is messed up because throughout the day there has been, there's been no preparation. And so the other thing that we can do right before you eat is when you sit down, especially if you've been stressed is prepare your body for it. You can say grace. That's awesome. And give gratitude. That's even better. And then just take a few belly breaths. If you try to do this, four or five breaths, belly breaths, okay? Just doing that. Notice if there's a sweetness that arises in your mouth mm. because mm. immediately you start salivating and that sweetness prepared because your, your body's preparing to digest. This is what I mean. We can dial our biochemistry yeah. with very simple breathing techniques and they don't have to be super complicated. The super complicated ones, I love them as well. These days, there's these two 
ways breathwork is being taught. There's on one end, there's the Wim Hof. You superventilate or you hyperventilate, and then you hold your breath for long periods of time. Yesterday, I was doing some Wim Hof breathing. And on the third round, I held my breath on the exhalation because we hold the breath where we breathe in and then we breathe out. And we hold our breath for three minutes and 24 seconds. It's crazy. It sends you into these ex, like extraordinary mental states. So it's not recommended for everybody. It's kind of an aggro thing to do. And it's something great to do before you jump into an ice bath. Yeah, I was know? just going to say that we were yeah. doing ice baths and we practiced his breathing. We were okay, being, good. Yeah, we were practicing it. But you're right. It puts you in different places. You're freezing anyway. Yeah, um, there, this is on wow, one. End, that's one right? sign. Yep, Super yep, ventilating. Yep. And on the other end is a method that was developed in the 1920s by a doctor called Dr. Buteko, and it's been revitalized or re-articulated by an Irishman by the name of Patrick McEwen and his methods called Oxygen Advantage. They are very different kind of breathwork practices. I veer more towards the latter because it's an overall system, but I like the Wim Hof. It's almost it's like just, a treat Yeah, it's to just do. sort of... It's just interesting, but you're saying you're more like the Ayurvedic. It's a whole system and that we can incorporate here. We can incorporate Mm -hmm. this breathing system on a podcast. When I see you and I actually can see myself on on our call right here, I see myself breathing as well. You know, it's a reminder to breathe through the nose, take a moment and to, to not get jacked, just get all amped up when we don't want to. When we want to do that, fine. I race mountain bikes. Before I mountain bike race, I do that. I get myself super amped and then I go burn it off on a mountain bike. But mm-hmm. I don't need to do that when I'm on a podcast. I need to be <laughs> concentrated and present. So we want to be able to have focused and relaxed. These two things. And we could put Sanskrit terms on it or we can talk about it in big metaphysical terms or bring in religion if we want, but that's really what we want. Don't we want, when we're in church, don't we want to be relaxed and focused? Mm -hmm. If you want to incorporate that into your spiritual practice, or if you want it more for kind of performance-based, you can talk about the methods in a little bit different ways, but essentially what we're doing is we're dialing our autonomic (sighs) nervous system. It's a dial. It feels like for me, it feels like it's a dial. I can dial it up. Yeah. I can dial it down. Yeah. Yeah. Dial yeah. is better than a switch dial. Because we want to have, Patricia, we want to be able to have that huge dump of adrenaline yeah. and cortisol when we want it. Right. But we just don't want to live in that. And the mm. same thing, we don't want the parasympathetic tone to be there always because then we'll become lethargic. Mm. Right? right. Right. We want, so we want to be able to balance it. At will. And this is what these methods and these traditions, they offer us. Now, sometimes we get lost in the tradition or lost in the method. And we think that the method is the most important thing. Right. We have to combine it with our own awareness. And that's where meditation, of course, comes in. And awareness actually is the first thing. We have to recognize I'm stressed. Mm -hmm. I need to do something right now. And then do it. Put your hand in your belly. Breathe in. Breathe out. Mm-hmm. We can have these interventions and the interventions don't have to be super complicated. Yeah, mm-hmm. intercepting mm-hmm. our reactions. Yeah. There's those of us 
who, when we intercept our reaction, are going to be like, oh, I suck. I'm a terrible person. I'm always getting angry. So this isn't- And I'm an- stuck in awareness hell. Yeah, this isn't another technique to show you how like bad of a person you are or show right. how bad of a breather you are. <laughs> it's not a method to go back and criticize your mom because that's what happens. The mind does this thing, yeah. right? Yeah. So we can have a little bit of humor, be like, wow, I'm doing that again. I'm reacting. Right. That's amazing that I have that much, that leaf blower has that much control over me. That, that's extraordinary. Yeah. Let's try to change that because this happens a lot in meditation. Because yeah. in meditation, we begin observing our mind and our habits, and maybe we don't like them. That's fine. We can change them. That's the best thing about habit is that you can change it. You just, in talking, have a couple thoughts for me. I get when you were talking and we were breathing, I get that you can live spiritually. You know, this idea of like having your life be your practice. Like, I don't know, Mateo, you reminded us of that, you know, like breaths, just has us here. And this is where we are now. And all the things that we hear and we say, you're actually, this is how we can feel it. This is how we can actually experience it when we want to maybe experience life. Just gets away from us in some ways. What I love is when you spoke about your breath as your most loyal friend. Me too. It's always there. Yeah. And to implement it when you need to and to be aware of it and the benefits of it in the simplest of ways, not necessarily the Wim Hof method to begin with, (laughs) but (laughs) the simple interceptions that need to happen. Really fantastic. It's true though. We can have an extraordinary amount of knowledge. We can know about all of these systems. We can know about the way to control the mind. We can know about 50,000 different meditation techniques. We can know exactly what Wim Hof is doing. We can know what Dr. Buteko recommends. But if we don't do it. Oh my God, yeah. I lived at a monastery for quite a while. And we used to say that if we don't actually bring these practices into our heart, then we just die an angry philosopher. Now that I've been doing this for a while, I see it. And this is this thing, like I've been doing this for a long enough period of time that when I see people say, I want to meditate, that to recommend to them straight away that they try to overcome their thoughts, they try to overcome their mind mm-hmm. with their mind, it's a heavy lift. Mm. It's not to say that it can't happen, but to start out there. So let's start with the breath and the body, right. like really the body and notice how I'm feeling right now. And can I manipulate how I feel? Can I toggle between being super focused and super relaxed at will. And my suggestion is that we can. And the key to that is the breath. Tell us about your book, Roar. I wrote the book Roar, which is a biography of a very interesting individual who is still alive. He's about 87 years old in Thailand. His name is Sulak Shivaraksha, which is a bit of a mouthful, but Sulak is nearly 90 years old. So he's seen a lot. And He's a social intellectual with a very strong political bent to him. And he really taught me a lot about socially engaged Buddhism. He, along with Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese monk who some of our listeners might know, and the Dalai Lama, those three are perhaps most responsible for bringing Buddhism into the mainstream. And Sulak is definitely the least well-known of them. But Sulak articulated 
this aspect of socially engaged Buddhism. And the flip side of that would be where we just use our spiritual practice, our yoga practice, our meditation practice as a kind of escapism. I cannot deal with the world. I need to go on my meditation cushion. So of course we need our formal practice, our meditation practice, our daily practice, but we immediately need to relate it. How is that going to make me a better husband? How's that going to make me a better person in my community? How's that going to help me dismantle the things in society that are causing greed, hatred, and anger? In Buddhism, we talk a lot about the three poisons, greed, hatred, anger, jealousy, these things within us, and how through our Buddhist practice do we try to purify ourselves of those, purify the mind. We need to do that, but simultaneously, we need to do that within structures. And so he was the one who taught me about what he called structural violence. And now that's something that is very much talked about now, but he was writing about that in the early 80s, about how within the systems themselves, there's already violence directed at particular populations within various structures. I wrote the book over the course of about four years. I would spend months and months with him in Thailand. I traveled around the world with him. It's definitely a biography, which follows the trajectory of his life, but I weave within the entire narrative this idea of socially engaged Buddhism. Fascinating. And you live that. You're socially engaged. In this short period, you've taught us so much. Mateo, what do you think your purpose in life is? Cliches are cliches because they have some sort of gem of truth in them, I think. As I've gotten older, I'm like 50 now. So I think that before I would have said, if I was in my 30s, I would have had something to do with political activism and changing things on the ground. And while I think that is still very valid, and I hope to still be able to affect that type of change, what I'm supposed to be doing right now is first and foremost, to be kind to myself and to be kind to everybody I meet to all of the people that grew me up in politics, to whatever color hat you're wearing right now in the political realm. My job is to recognize that you're just trying to live a life where you find happiness and we can disagree. It's a crazy time to try to do this. The stressors that we get and the way that, <laughs> that we immediately react. I can even just say that every time I see a certain political logo out there. My hand goes on my belly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's there to teach me something about me. I love what you just said, because I feel like as we get older, life becomes clearer and more simple. And our purpose, it's like a light that turns brighter. We know what it is to be kinder, to be kind to ourselves and to everyone we meet. I think that's so beautiful. People are going to want more of you. Yeah. So we know you're doing a lot with Hay House. Yeah. Tell and us so tell us about that and how people can find you. I have a website, MateoPistone.com, and I've written a few books. As you said, I'm working with Hay House and they have a podcast. Some of those, the meditations, the Hay House Meditations podcast, there's a lot of variety on there and there's a lot of guided practices. There isn't a lot of breath work on it, although there is some that I've done. I'm actually on social media a bit on Instagram. <laughs> so you can see that from my website. You can connect with me there or you can DM me on Instagram. There's two books I would recommend. One is by James Nestor called Breathe. Mm -hmm. It's a great book. If people wanted to actually 
jump into a kind of practice, the oxygen advantage by Patrick McEwen is great. And we don't have to be like super athletes. It's really about how to breathe for health, how to breathe for life. Trisha and I are just so, so grateful to you for coming on and sharing all your beautiful wisdom with I us. Know. And thank you. Thank you. It's really fun to talk about these things. And I'll just remind everybody that the power is totally in your hands and you can start with the breath. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.